Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Season two of the Black Tech Green Money podcast is brought to you by Lexus, who goes all in to craft a perfect package of style and performance with the new Lexus IS. A well-appointed cabin and available track-tuned V6 help make the new IS the luxury sports sedan. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Afrotech 2019, Oakland, California. Tracy Oliver is executive producer, showrunner, and director for BET's First Wives Club. Writer of the movie Girls Trip, which exceeded $100 million at the box office, propelling the film career of Tiffany Haddish, and she collabed with Issa Rae on Awkward Black Girl, the hit YouTube show. She's on stage discussing turning Hollywood no's into box office and small screen wins. When Hollywood doesn't think audiences want to see quality content featuring black women, She's proving to them that we do. I, when I came out of film school, black women just were not on TV in lead roles. And so people were constantly telling me, if you want to work, stop writing about black women. And that was literal advice I got from a producer was if you, you're a good writer, but if you want to get hired, like you have to show that you can write non-black characters because no one's making that. And I was just like, nah, I'm not doing that. So I had gone to undergrad with Issa Rae and we talked about doing a web series. We talked about doing something, you know, like an awkward black girl. <laughs> and we talked to a couple people in the industry and they were like, there's no audience for that. It can't work. And also telling Issa, she doesn't look like a star. And I knew that wasn't true, she knew that wasn't true, so we decided to just go do it. And 
the first couple episodes, I don't know if you guys have seen it, I mean, they look pretty bootleg. <laughs> they're, they're cheap and they're really, you know, thrown together and kind of unprofessional looking, but it was because we had no money and no resources, but people still laughed and people still thought Issa was funny and the show had something to offer. So we just kept doing it. And then eventually we did like a, a it was a Kickstarter campaign and Issa and I thought we were gonna raise $10,000 and then people all over just started putting in money and then we raised over 50,000 within like a week. And I just couldn't believe that so many people were clamoring for it. And that was the first time that I realized that the Hollywood gatekeepers had it all wrong. The audiences did want to see black women and women of color on TV and in movies and just in pop culture. They just, they were wrong. Because we were seeing directly, you know, from the excitement and enthusiasm people were giving us that they wanted it. And that was kind of the, the big turning point for us because right after that, HBO and other places started saying, okay, well maybe we'll take a meeting with you. But that was the beginning of it and had we just said, you know what, you're right, we'll give it up, I don't know if that would have happened. So sometimes you have to tell people, no, I'm gonna go do it and then show them there's an audience and that literally changed everything for us. I'm Will Lucas, and this is Black Tech, Green Money. I'm going to introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds, and brilliant ideas. If you're black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag, this podcast is for you. As one of corporate America's youngest executives, Natavio Samuels has helped some of the world's biggest companies, including Walmart, Chrysler, the NBA, and Johnson & Johnson, build their brands and help them connect with consumers. Previously at Urban One, where he ran Global Grind, HelloBeautiful.com, NewsOne.com, Bossa.com, MadamNoir.com, and more. He's now co-head of Revolt Media and TV, Diddy's multimedia network. I asked Natavio, with all the culture we move on social media, TV, and in movies, how do we finally capitalize on us for too long talent in our community hasn't been paid how do we change that yeah man that's been something that i've been looking at for a long time even when i was at uh, urban one and interactive one was actually trying to see if we could leverage black planet which still exists to be a platform for black creative creators to launch ideas help them own them legally and do all of the things they needed to do around them legally before they gave them out to the world. Wasn't able to pull that off, but I think I learned a couple of things in the process. Um, it is incredibly difficult to try to trademark or capitalize off of catchphrases or hashtags. Those are things that we are doing every day in our sleep, and it's just much more difficult to monetize them. You have to really be thinking about what is the product or the end product of whatever it is that your idea that you're creating. Um, and I think you gotta really do your best to think about how you monetize it before you give it to the world. I think so often people just throw it out into the world and hope that they go viral and then try to follow up on that success. But um, it's hard to go viral once, let alone two, three times. And so having a clear plan for monetization, being clear about the thing that you're about to put into the world to try to go viral, is that just marketing? for a bigger product and a bigger idea? Is it just phase one into a bigger thing that you will then follow up with? But I think people got to be pretty clear about their strategy before they launch and give things into the world. 
And so my recommendation would be, um, again, it's not about a hash mark, hashtag or um, a catchphrase. It's about real products, real ideas, um, real thoughts, um, thinking about those things. How do we monetize them before having a plan for monetization before we give them to the world? Yeah, when when you look at the work you've done um, in your career, and, and I like to look at like what Steve Stout is doing uh, today, like, mm-hmm. you know, creating avenues where we can capitalize on our culture. Um, I get that big companies have maybe not historically, but in the last few decades, seen the value in taking advantage of us. And maybe maybe it is historical. Right. And but what do you think it is that we might have missed in that value? Is it simply that we haven't owned the channels and therefore couldn't take advantage of it? Yeah, I think there's two things. One, I don't think we understand the value chain and how to capture and extract value out of that value chain. And then two, I think we are often too short-sighted because we come from a position of lack. We will trade in um, the bigger long-term ways to generate wealth for immediate cash. So I'll give you an example on the second one. So right now I'm in a deal negotiating with this very, very young, intelligent brother and um, put a deal on the table that says, okay, look, we're gonna pay you this amount of money for every episode, but there's upside. I gave them upside for advertisers, gave them ownership on the back end, um, things that I thought could help them build wealth over the long run. Well, you know, all the big guys have now seen him. They have their eyes on him. And so they tossing him a bag. That bag is bigger than the fee I was paying him, but it does not have the upside for advertising and it does not have ownership on the back end. Well, guess where we're going to land? I'm going to end up paying him cash and he's going to miss out on all those other things because that's where his priority was, right? So I didn't want to play that game, but in order to compete with the big guys who were just throwing him pennies to them, it's real money to me, um, I then have to match that offer, which means taking off all of the things that would have had allowed them to have real upside and build real wealth in the, in the long run. And so just the inability to kind of have that long-term visioning, the inability to have that um, long-term thinking um, and to make a real bet on yourself, I think we miss that quite often, again, because we're coming from a position of lack, we need the money or the cash now, whatever that is. I think the other thing is, again, just not understanding the total value chain. So I think it's like a big Sean song right now where he talks about like, look, these players who are making $35 million a year, that means that the owners somebody's making a billion in order to pay 35, right? And so I think that's the other key piece of it for us, which is uh, we don't see the entire value chain. We just see the money we're getting. We don't see that the total value that's being created is a billion dollars. And then they're not working on ways to create uh, uh, ways to capture more of that billion dollars. You see people in the past did it like Master P. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about when you said it. Right. So we have people who have who have broken out and said, you know what, I don't just want this check. I'm going to capture more value. Um, it's those models that we need to be learning from going forward. Uh, but we're, we're still pretty new to that game. But so to his point, and, and, and I don't know his situation, but you, you said this clearly, clearly we come from by and large when you get an opportunities like this, perhaps you may come from a background of lack and you, you can't make yeah. those long term decisions because mama got to eat right now. And so yeah. what is if I'm asking you to save the world with this question, but like, what do we do in this community so that we can afford to think long-term? 
Yeah. So I think there's two things. I think one, the first piece is just education. So educating ourselves on the total value chain, trying to make sure that we extract all the value that we can, understanding the difference between cash now and real wealth later, ownership, like ownership and equity versus cash. I think there's an education thing um, that we absolutely should be doing for ourselves. But then also, I just believe in phasing, right? So people will talk about like, it's, it's hard to make the first million the next million after that becomes easy. So even if you have to trade off in the short term, okay, I'm gonna trade off that equity to get this larger cash bag because this is what my family needs in this moment right now. Having a plan for how you then take that cash and don't again go just splurge on it and buy new cars and, and new gear and all of that stuff. But how do you then take some of that cash and invest it in something so that you again have ownership and equity, maybe not in the thing that you created, but you have ownership and equity somewhere else, real estate, stocks, et cetera, so that you can start to build wealth, which will then allow you to make real decisions in the future. I'm a huge believer like in this notion of like freedom. I wanna spend my entire life being the freest version of myself and wealth gives you freedom like no other. And so take the cash, find a way to build wealth so that you can be free and make decisions that are no longer driven by necessity and lack, but they're driven by, I just don't want to do it because I don't have to or because yeah. I don't want to, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we have to invest in ourselves and invest in our future. Um, I was listening to an interview and you talked about your experience at Global Hue in Detroit. And I, and I, I think a lot about, we've been having these conversations in the Afrotech world of there's a world outside of Silicon Valley, but there's, you know, tech and media and business happening all over the world in, in communities that we are in. And what, what about Detroit? And maybe more broadly, the Midwest has been overlooked with regards to their contribution to the culture. Because I'm, I'm from Ohio, so I'm I'm from 45 minutes south of Detroit in Toledo, Ohio. And I think a lot about, you know, the perspectives I saw growing up being in the Rust Belt, manufacturing, automotive and et cetera. That's that's a perspective on the world. Right. And I wonder what your experience was like running Global Hue, that Detroit office and what unique value you saw the Midwest brought to the conversation. Yeah, I thought living in Detroit was amazing, man. Like out of Detroit, you get, um, you know, they always talk about real diamonds come from coals going through the fire. You know what I mean? Like that is what Detroit is. Detroit's contribution to this world, whether it be music, automotive, you name it, has been huge. I think um, we don't get to hear a lot about that story for a couple of reasons. Um, one, just the way that we function, culture moves from the outside in. So culture, we tend to, we get used to culture starting in LA or New York and moving inside. Um, and so that's just to the places that we look to for creativity and, 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 and creation. Um, but I do think there's a dope creative community in Detroit that folks aren't necessarily looking at that they should be. The other thing is just where the media platforms live and exist. So again, so often those media platforms are in California and New York. People, you know, what's the black owned media company in Detroit where you can really tell the Detroit mm, story? It doesn't mm. exist. I think that stuff is true for other places like Atlanta right now or the Bay Area right now. You know, what's happened is when you and I were growing up, and I'm sure I'm older than you, um, we, when we, before the internet, each geography had such distinctness to themselves. They had distinctness in the way that they moved. They had, you know, in the Bay Area, they were doing hyphy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which nobody else was doing, right? Um, in Atlanta, we had trap. And so people had different language. They had different movement. They had all of that stuff was different. Well, now with the invention of the internet and now that we're all here, everybody is coming to the mushy middle. And so you start to miss some of that like locality, um, specific, 
um, culture that was creating at a local level. And so with nobody there telling their stories, amplifying their stories, it stays kind of hidden and missed while we all kind of gravitate to the kind of top mushy middle. And so I think that's the biggest thing that needs to happen. Like we're seriously looking at setting up shop in Atlanta because we see it as the black Hollywood, nobody's telling their stories. And we think there's a huge opportunity to kind of go to Atlanta um, and build a dope relationship there. I see a same type of opportunity for people who could be interested in Detroit. Lots of dope creatives, lots of dope work, lots of dope history, just waiting for someone to come in and mine it. And not mine it in a way that's culture vulture-ish, but mine it in a way that then gives it back to the culture while finding ways to pour back into Detroit. So since you um, started that revolt, one of your roles was to acquire content, right? And so um, is it that you found a star on YouTube, a rising talent, and you want to put money behind their vision? Or is it that, you know, somebody went and, you know, bought a bunch of cameras and, you know, built a, a production company and they're sending you demo tapes, right? Like, yeah. how does that work? Yeah, yeah we're, 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 we're basically open to looking at both. I will tell you that right now I am very focused on talent-centered production, that I think that, you know, who's breaking through right now is not ABC, CBS, Fox. Those aren't the breakthroughs. Who's breaking through is Will Smith, Cardi B, um, Diddy, right? Those people have larger followings than any other cable network. They have better engagement than any other cable network. And so finding talent who can pull focus own a camera, entertain a camera, but then also bring a large engaged audience, that's really where we're looking. And so sometimes we'll find that talent and build a show around them. Sometimes that talent will already come with the show and we will collaborate. We're actually getting ready to launch this weekend, um, Jim Jones, uh, a new weather show with Jim Jones. Jim Jones has been doing this weather show for two years, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what he doesn't have, which is what we bring, which is production capability, storytelling capability, we bring that. But Jim has an audience and he's hella good in front of a camera. And so we're gonna collaborate to make magic. And so we're willing to do it that way. We're willing to start with people from scratch. The deal I'm talking about is a deal where we are literally starting from a development standpoint from scratch. So we're open to either situation. The hard part is finding super dope talent who can entertain a camera by themselves if need be, who have really large engaged audiences that will follow them where they go. Um, that's the hard part and that's what we're focused on. How much of um, your acquisition of content is like, you know, is, is let's say you, if, you're, if you're a music executive, it's like this person may not have sold, you know, 10,000 records out of their trunk. They may not have a bunch of hits on their Spotify, but this, there's a star quality about them that I, and yeah. you believe, right? So how much yeah. of your acquisition of talent um, might come without having that huge engaged audience, but there's something about this person that you got to, you got to bring them over to the Revolt family. Yeah, for me, there always has to be that proof point of talent, of talent being able to attract an audience somehow. Um, right now, just because it is so hard to break through. Um, but what I'm saying is you don't have to be the New York Times. You just got to be the New York Times of your scene. Mm. Right. So as we're going into Atlanta, I'm not looking for people who the whole world knows. But if Atlanta knows you and if Atlanta show up, like if Atlanta gives you respect, then it's like, OK, we can build with this. So there still has to be a proof point that you can um 
bring audiences in and engage audiences, but it just doesn't have to be on the same scale as a Google or a Facebook or a Netflix might be looking at. I'm looking at people who are authentic with the culture. I'm looking for people who have real relationships with the culture. And if you can prove that the culture will move when you show up, then those are the type of people I wanna be in business with. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Season 2 of the Black Tech Green Money Podcast is brought to you by Lexus and the new Lexus IS. With an available track-tuned V6 engine and responsive handling, the new IS went all in to deliver you style and performance. 
See how when you experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You've seen the news. We're cutting the cord all across America. You can get Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, all without a cable provider. But Revolt TV is on cable. Puff Daddy and the top, you'll have to see something we're missing. There's got to be a strategy there, and I'm curious. Dottavio speaks on it. So the way that I would say it is, um, broadcast is the past times now, and streaming is the future. And so, you know, you see we just did a deal with Comcast to broaden our distribution. So um, the linear space for us is a very real space. We will continue to program in that space and deliver for people on the big screen in their homes. But without question, we know that the future is streaming. The future is programming to mobile phones and tablets. Every time we talk to our audience, audience, Gen Y, Gen Z, and we tell them that we're working on things longer than 10 minutes, their nose turn up and they get frustrated, <laughs> right? So it's, 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 for us, it will actually end up being quite a different product that we end up um, producing for streaming. Um, for linear, I'm looking at 30 minute 60 minute, 90 minute shows for digital. I'm looking at being best in the world at premium short form video because that's what Gen Y and Gen Z wants. And so we have to do both. Um, and that's why it's important for us to do deals like the Comcast deal because it gives us the revenue to then begin to program in these different ways and these different formats because the audience is looking for something different in each space. So I guess my more fundamental question is, is how big can a a black network get right this is so this you are unapologetically hip-hop right and so um what does the roadmap look like for a revolt to be the next cbs right and not say yeah. that like what is to be that big i mean like yeah know, what is it how, how big can this get yeah. 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 So I think it's really difficult. My real answer is I think it's really difficult for a black network to scale. Um, I've said this before, but ultimately it's the, the, the game is not built for us to succeed. So if you are a black network focused on black audiences, it means that the content that you create is for 15% of the world, right? 15% of the U S which is tough because you're up against CBS, ABC, who are creating content for a hundred percent of the U S and the business problem is that even though we are both focused on reaching different sized audiences, the cost of creating content for those audiences doesn't change. So a good movie on TV for CBS is gonna cost the same amount of money that a good, for CBS who's going after 100% of the US is gonna cost me the exact same amount of money who might only be going after 15% of the US, right? And so just there, period, I think, the black business model breaks. And so what I've been saying and what we are doing and what I've done at all of my previous companies is you have to do it in a way that scales. For me, that answer is you do what all the big mainstream companies are doing. We all see that black folks are tuning into live, black folks consume more content than everybody else and the world consumes our point of view. And so you create content for black America or you create content that is rooted in black culture but you have to create it for everybody meaning the dj is black the first 100 people into the party probably going to be black but you open to everybody coming because that's the only way that you get scale that's the only way that you get numbers that's the only way that you can really compete and so i have significant concerns for um, black media companies who are focused on black only, because I think the game 
is rigged and is not necessarily built for us. Um, the beauty of Revolt is again, we are based on hip hop, right? So our design target we talk about is being young, gifted and black, but we know that hip hop is the number one thing being consumed across the world. And so we can program to this audience, but invite the world in. That's how we will get scale. That's how we will get numbers. That is the only way we will even get close to being to someone like a CBS or an MTV or some of those other folks. So what you've at Revolt has seen this share of successes and obviously it's growing quickly with the new Comcast Xfinity deal. Um, to be a, sort of a mainstream network and you kind of clarify what the target is. And, and I, when I mean mainstream, I mean, that's probably that's, how do we grow that 15 percent? Right. That's right. Um, that's right. Does it take having like what Netflix had was the orange is the new black that helped Netflix scale? Like, what does it take content wise for yeah. revolt to have that? Yeah, I think we, we I think we need breakout content, but I'm going to separate it from a show perspective. I think that if you are an independent network, meaning you are not housed inside of NBC Universal or Viacom, CBS, if you are out here by yourself, um, it is lonely and it is difficult because again, you know, when you compete against Viacom, CBS, they're aggregating ten networks, and you're you've got one. You're bringing one to the party, right? So in everything, it's like you've got a water gun, and you're up against like these um, major uh, nuclear weapons. Um, crap, I just actually lost. What was what was the core <laughs> question? Yes. Oh, do I need content? I got yes. you. I got you. I got you. Um, so I think if you are an independent network, the key game that you're playing is actually more about being a brand. It's about mm -hmm. building an identity feed. It is less about being a network, but it's more about building a brand that audiences will fall in love with and attach to, and then creating multiple ways to monetize that brand from merch to events to content, to experiences, all of those things. So for us, do I think it's about a hit show? I think it could be a hit show, but for me, it's really more about having hit moments as a brand showing up, um, showing up in culture in a big way um, and in a way that audiences can see kind of what our brand value is, what our brand proposition is and how we stand for and represent the culture. So I think those things will come from stuff like the Revolt Summit that we're getting ready to have at the end of October. Is that a hit show? No but it will absolutely be a hit moment for us. And that will help the brand grow. I, I like what you're saying about branding. Cause I think about um, this mixed with mixed in with what we talked about with the master P and what big Sean rapped about. And, 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 and like, there's somebody else. If, if I'm making this much, there's somebody else making 10 times that 20 times that a hundred times that. Right. And so where is the space in media then media slash technology for entrepreneurialism because i think about um with what you're saying to the, to the guy who you know didn't take the or may not take the deal that's just about future growth opportunity but just wants the cash up front i think about people like ryan leslie who dropped an album he's a hundred dollars and he only he sold two thousand of them he got 200 racks in the bank now and mm -hmm. and so but he wasn't trying to serve you know, a global audience. He wanted his diehard fans, the people who believed who will pull out their checkbook, pull out their credit card, pull out their cash app for a hundred dollar Ryan Leslie album. And he's got $200,000 in the bank. Cause he only got to sell 20,000 copies. And so That's where right. is the space in video production for that type of entrepreneurialism? Mm, that's a good question. Um, so let me think about that. I mean, so right now, I think in general, content creators, specifically black content creators, are having a real moment. 
again, the recognition that everybody from Netflix to FX to ABC sees value in our stories, which means the market for Black stories is larger than it's ever been before. And so I think if you're not in my position and you're not tied down to feeding um, a network 24-7, 365, but you have the opportunity to sit back, curate, make dope stories, I think the opportunity to sell those stories to all of the buyers in the marketplace and create real competition there is a, is a very, very real thing. I think the digital game is, is tough, man. It's tough. Um, if you're a company, I think it's super tough if you're an individual. Um, it takes so much typically to win if you're just playing this digital game. And so for me, where I think the real winners are going to be our um, content creators and talent. Like as the world becomes more multicultural, um, they're always going to be looking for more black and brown talent to fill their movies, their, their, their TV shows, etc. And so those people who can be people who are building companies around multicultural talent, building companies around creating dope stories that can be sold to anybody, not just one person. I think those are two of the ways that I think that there are real opportunities. And then again, like there's this thing that like we're trying to do as well, which is just recognizing that even content in and of itself is just good marketing. And so how do you create super dope content, but that becomes IP and you can build entire worlds around. So again, how do I create content where I can then turn them into events and merch and all of those things. I think people who have that type of vision and understanding um, have a huge opportunity um, in this world as well. You know, you, you got me thinking about um, what Issa Rae did with her show on YouTube before it was picked up by a Netflix. And yeah. I don't know her whole production story, but I'm what I imagine from the outside looking in, you might know more than I do, but I, and please do fill me in. But I think about somebody who probably had two or three friends. One of them's got a camera. One of them's got a little bit of money or whatever, you know, to help her get lighting. I don't know. But she yeah. put this show together around her talent, put it on YouTube marketed it and however she marketed it and built a following is is the growth of black networks like revolt how important is the growth of black networks like revolt to being able to create more opportunities for the next Issa race yeah i mean for us we would say we're betting everything on that that um that that should be our competitive advantage that Netflix as dope and as great as they are and all the content that they're making, they don't know our community like we do. They're not touching creators in the community like we are. And so you see like people tend to have this kind of strategy that's like, let me find one black person and give them 10 shows, right? <laughs> um, so go ahead, like so what we, we're banking on, the Obamas will continue to get shows with yeah, people yeah, like Netflix. Yeah. The Ava DuVernay's and the Shondas will continue to get opportunities in Netflix. We are the people who are going to be betting on the little guys. We are going to be betting on the people who, again, aren't on the scene of the New York Times, but they're on the version of the New York Times for Atlanta yeah, or the New York yeah. Times for the Bay Area. And um, that's 100 percent our strategy, which is that we see ourselves as being a platform for hip hop voices. We do not believe that the best ideas will always come for revolt. We know that black genius is amazing all across this world. And so we are absolutely betting on um, black and brown creators who are doing dope work, who have not yet been seen. And we want, again, bring what we bring, a little bit more resources, production capability, storytelling capability, and then rise to the top together. That is very much a key part of our strategy. Um, I was listening to uh, an interview you did, and I'm going to paraphrase a quote that you had. You, okay. you talked, it's about marketing and, and agencies. And you talked about general marketing agencies 
you know, shouldn't do um, or in your opinion, shouldn't do like perspective work. Like, you know, if, if you've got a general marketing agency, maybe they shouldn't be dabbling in just Hispanic marketing or black marketing. But the niche agencies, those ones that do focus on that have um, to reposition themselves oftentimes to win. Can you talk a little bit about the opportunity, especially these days when, you know, black culture is for all of, you know, the ills that we take on from the world, we have platforms now like, like Afrotech, we have these platforms to where, you know, not only are we, are you making money, but you know, you're being recognized and et cetera for your work. How can marketing agencies, a uh, black focused companies like revolt is well, I shouldn't say black, but hip hop focused, um, companies, how can they create opportunities for themselves when it is typically those general market agencies who can come in with the entire toolkit. Right. But we focused on our perspective. Yeah. Is it that you just lean into your perspective? Yeah, no, I mean, the, 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 the big thing you have to do is to be able to get to the top of those companies to help them understand the flaw in their decision-making. Mm-hmm. That is in, in essence, that what they are doing is calling on BBDO or calling on um, DDB to do work that is black and is just not in their wheelhouse. But I'll go in there and say, okay, well, let's take a step back. Let's look at someone who has to move product across the entire world. Let's take Walt Disney, right? When Disney knew they had to create a black movie, what did they do? Did they go to DDB? Did they go to BBDO? No, they went to Ryan Coogler, right? <laughs> they found one black man and guess what Ryan did? You know, people get worried like, well, Ryan is only one person or Revolt is on. No, 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 but we're in the culture. We know all of these people that you don't know. You can't find black creative directors and black, you know, who is it? The CEO of Wells Fargo this week talking about he couldn't find black talent, right? Y'all can't find black talent. They're all calling me or they're all my friends or I'm hanging out with all of them, right? So you put one Ryan Coogler in the machine. Ryan Coogler brings um, Sherry. What's my girl Sherry's name? Um, Who played... Uh, Michael B. Jordan, Kendrick Lamar, yeah, Yeah, Yeah. right, Shuri, right, he will bring all of those people to the table. You have to get to the people at the top who are making those decisions to help them understand the flaws in their decision making. And then the other thing that I try to tell brands all the time is ultimately like the research process is broken because if white folks account for 60 to 70 percent of the research, guess how the research is going to skew towards white folks, right? We all know that culture never moves from the middle. Culture always starts from the edges. If you are looking to go with where culture is going, see where culture is going, be a part of that wave, as opposed to the wave that's already left, you have to start with the people on the edges. It's those conversations with the people up top who didn't get it before, but in the era of George Floyd, they're catching it more now than ever. Um, But it's those conversations to to make them break convention, right? Because... I don't think people are doing things to be racist on purpose or they're literally just doing what is easy and normal. It's the same thing that they've done. I got a new product launch called DDB, right? I got to get this TV out called DDB. Someone has to break that convention and get them off of autopilot and help them understand the opportunity that they're leaving on the table. That's that's good. And I, I love that you tied it to the moment and I want you to go deeper. This is how important is this moment in the in the age of covid in the age of brianna taylor in the age of george floyd and you've got these companies now to say you know what we haven't paid enough attention 
to, you know, this demographic of people, these black voices, these black creatives, these black talent, black executive, you know, uh, perspectives. How important is it for us to not let this moment slip by? Because I do believe, you know, I always use this Rahm Emanuel quote back from 2008 where he said, and I don't even know if he's the first person to say it, but, you know, I never let a great crisis go to waste. It's an opportunity to do things that otherwise you wouldn't have been able to do. And while we've seen our fair share or probably exorbitant amount of crisis, how important is it for us to take advantage of this moment where we do have the ears? It is for me, it is now or never, brother. And I also don't believe that this moment is going to be around forever Um, as much hope and optimism as I have, I think there's probably like a pretty significant like window on it. And so I'm kind of telling my team, like, look, you got three to nine months Mm. to run through every door that you can. And at the end of that three to nine months, whatever we're left with is probably what we're going to be left with. If you can get opportunities for multi-year contracts so that people can't back out of it later, even better. But right now I am seeing specifically in corporate America, um, yes, there's superficial activism and people just making statements to make statements so that they can look cool. But I am seeing countless brands who are serious about this, who have woken up to this. I was on a call maybe last week with a Fortune 10 brand and listening to them tell me how important it was to support black media and their understanding that they can't hold black media to the same KPIs as um, CBS and Viacom and NBC Universal because of the size different, but that they needed to be investing in black and what I call it, like I think investing in black media is a revolutionary act. So to hear a CMO at a Fortune 10 company talking to me about her understanding that buying black media was a revolutionary act. Brother, I've been in this game doing this (laughs) since 2006 and have never heard that, right? So um, this moment is different. This moment is unique. Um, We are absolutely seeing the benefit of this moment um, at Revolt as we are pushing brands to and holding them accountable for the statements that they are putting out into the streets. I will say that there are many of them who are stepping up. um, Cash App, Nike, Comcast, you know, we do the Revolt Summit with AT&T, like there's definitely brands who are getting it. So anyways, um, less than the ramble, like kind of the short summary is, I think this is an amazing moment. I've never seen anything like it. No one can tell me that things aren't changing because this moment feels so different. I'm watching it, I'm feeling it, it's showing up in the culture, it's showing up in the numbers. Um, And it's not everybody, but it definitely exists. And now is the time. It's like, keep your foot on their necks, Keep going, because when the door shuts, who knows when we get another civil rights moment like this again. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice and grow black owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. 
Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Yeah, so... A lot of the companies you've worked with, like, you know, the Walmarts, the McDonald's, et cetera, have very well-known brands. Right. And so define for me, like brand building for companies that already have very well-known brands. And so and how do you build the skills with today's tools with an eye for what's coming for brands like that? How, how is it that you position them for the future? Yeah. So, um, you know, business school, you learn all these like brand architecture and there's like 20 things you got to have brand personality and brand voice and all of these things. I think over my years in the game, I've kind of boiled branding down to like three or four things, plus a few key strategic bets. So what are those things I think every brand has to be clear on? I think you have to be clear on who you are, what you do, why you do it and how you do it those four things. And in those four things, at least one of them needs to be fundamentally different from everybody else. So Apple and Microsoft can both make computers, but if the how Microsoft does it is they approach everything from a creative and a visual standpoint, if the why they do it, because we want everybody to think differently, if those pieces are different, then you can build a brand that's fundamentally different, even though you're in the same space. And so I think you have to nail those four pieces. You have to make sure that at least one or two of those things are fundamentally different from anybody else in your category that you're competing with. And then from there, I just think you got to look around and find the smart bets that will help make the brand different. So for us, it's not just who we serve. Who we serve is, is, is what we call them is um, gen hip hop, right? All these young folks who are in love with hip hop music, the genre, the lifestyle. But what's different about our brand is our design target is young, black, and gifted. That design target means I'm creating content that no other hip hop company is. World Star ain't making this, Baller Alert. Like they're not giving people access to the summit to meet executives and to, to get workshops on how to um, how to make a dope 16 or how to make it, how to produce a dope beat. They're not getting opportunities to meet with executives from those other companies. I'm not saying anything is bad over them. I'm saying we are making a strategic bet to program to someone different than they are, which means the content and the work that comes out. So it's not about who we are. 
Um, it's not about what we do, why we do it, or how we do it, even though there's some differences there. But that one bet is such a key differentiator for us in terms of building our brand. So anyways, I think those are kind of the key components. And then the last piece is just to say, screw words, it's all about actions, right? So you know, the old way was you just had a whole bunch of things on paper and you just tried to make sure you were communicating those ideas consistently. Um, today, the world can see everything. Everything is transparent. There are no sidelines. You are in the game, whether you say you are in the game or not. You're either team Trump or not team Trump. Whether you say it or not, people are going to go look up the CEO and see whether you gave money, you know what I mean, to Trump or not. So you just also have to recognize that the game is based on actions, that um, you are trying to be as thoughtful and, um, and intentional and purposeful about those actions as possible. And then just recognizing that there are no sidelines. There's nothing that is off limits. People are making decisions about the brands they want to support who align with their values. And if your behaviors and actions don't match that, it's gonna be really difficult to win those audiences. One last thing, which is you also can't win everybody. So you have to be very comfortable if you are not team Trump, you have to be very comfortable losing all of the Trump supporters, right? That's how brands get made. They are literally, to stay, they are pieces of our identity. And so you have to be willing to walk away from some people in order to get me to put your shirt on my chest. Um, I think those are all key pieces. Season two of the Black Tech Green Money Podcast is brought to you by Lexus. With connected tech, Lexus Safety System Plus 2.5, and luxuriously appointed cabin, the new Lexus IS is all in on style and performance. See how when you experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. For those you know, up and coming young black executives uh, who will be watching this and listening to this and, you know, they see the kind of journey you took and me, a lot of a lot of favor in your your walk. You know, you were executive very young. Um, and what can we learn about your journey that those folks who would be, you know, in one day in, in shoes like yours um, that they can apply to their own walk? Yeah. Um, so the first one I'll say, but I'll keep it short, which is just um, faith and my faith in God. Um, I am absolutely here because I don't believe that any man ever controls my destiny. And so no matter how funky things might look around me in my current situation, faith in a higher power always helps me um, move and progress. And people say favor ain't fair. I believe it to its truth. Favor Spanx. ain't fair, which is why I am where <laughs> I am. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that because I'm trying to do a better job at that. Um, other things that I would say is um, I never got a job applying through a black box. All of my jobs have come through relationships. Um, I think a lot of times black people feel like we have to earn stuff, um, that there's this thing called a meritocracy and we need to make sure that we earned it in the right way. What I will say is I don't ever feel like I need to earn any open door. Um, White people have been getting jobs they didn't deserve for a very long time. Uh, <laughs> I look at President Trump right now and I'm like, yo, this is the quintessential subpar white man who has yeah. the highest ranking job in the, right? Like yeah, yeah. who worried about how he got it? So anyways, my rule has always been, 
leverage my network, leverage my relationships to get in the door. Guess what? Once I'm in the door, I got to perform, right? That's on me. But I care less how I actually get into the door as long as it's being done with integrity um, and with, 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 with solid character. So that's one. The other thing is, um, what's the quote about luck is preparation times opportunity? Um, so that's very, that's been very, very true in my career. You know, where I first start getting like this kind of like meteoric rise is um, less than a year at Global Hue. Um, it's I'm running the Navy business. The woman who's running the Walmart business is really like the number two in the office. So uh, we hire, my boss hires a president to come in over that office. This woman spends two days with this man and quits. She comes back and tells out like, I refuse to work with him. I won't be here, I'm out. What did that do? Um, it threw them into chaos. So that actually goes to one of your earlier comments earlier. Don Coleman used to say all this all the time, chaos creates opportunity. So when they lose the number two in Detroit, guess what they do? They take the top three next level and they promote them all a level. So we were all supervisors. So they got promoted from supervisor to director. But for me, cause I had been ready, because I've been performing. I grew the US Navy account 200% in less than a year, right? My first year there, they promoted me two levels. So I go from supervisor to group account director overseeing all, dude, you can't make that up. <laughs> I can't write that. I couldn't have planned it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. like steady performance, um, steady preparation, um, steady faith just had me ready for the opportunity when it came. So that's the other piece that I would say. Yeah. If finally, so I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this. So you came in to revolt as COO, um, head of content a few weeks later, the CEO departs and you get named co-head. So you came in and literally a couple weeks, like, yo, like, okay, you the man now right. you and you and you, you got them in, yo, y'all, y'all the ones. Right. Um, and I do believe like, you know, there's like this, there's a thing about God clearing the way for you. And I, and, but I, I, I believe to that when you get those opportunities where he clears the way, it's up to you to grow into That's it. Right. right? That's right. And so I, like, if he just put you somewhere, you were already prepared for it. And it's not, it's nothing. I mean, cause you already prepared for that. Let me do something that you're not prepared for. Let me do something That's that right. takes you to the next level. How That's do right. you, when you get those types of opportunities, when you are get stretched, then build the skills, you know, jumping off and then building the wings on the way down. How do you do that? Yeah. How do you yeah. do that successfully? Because you've done it a couple of times. Yeah, it's a, um, there's so many ways that I'm, I'm thinking about how I want to answer this. Um, but the, the most direct way to do it. So my strategy has always been know what I am good at and great at um, and make sure that while I'm learning, I am absolutely killing the things that I'm great at. So for example, um, when I was at Johnson & Johnson, I left the client side and went to the agency side where Johnson and Johnson, I learned strategy. I learned how clients think, um, which no one on the agency side knew. Well, I didn't know how to produce a TV commercial. I didn't know how to produce radio. I didn't know how to produce any of those things. But what I could do is come in, develop strategy, translate um, client needs more clearly and directly while learning that side of the business. Me doing what I was good at allowed us to grow the business 200% in one year while I was still learning the other side, right? I left the agency side and went to the media side. I didn't know media, but I, from the agency side, I learned ideas, the power of strategic thinking. So now I'm jumping into media, which is spots and dots, but they need big ideas to grow. They need big ideas in order to beat BET and all of the other competitions. So I'm bringing that while I'm learning media. 
here at Revolt, it's a little bit of the same. It's, you know, I think I have a solid understanding of how a total media company and machine works that I'm able to, to, to deliver on. I have an understanding of digital that I'm under, that I'm able to deliver on while I'm learning pieces that I was touching, but not running when I was at Urban One, right? So um, I was close to linear, but I wasn't running linear, right? So I'm trying to make sure I can demonstrate value in the places where I know God has given me gifts and expertise while I am very open and transparent about what I don't know, but trying to learn that side as quickly as humanly possible. Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech. It's produced by Morgan DeBond and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Raven Earbor. Special thank you to Micah Davis and Sakara Savanyan. You know, like the wine? Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. Go get your money. Peace and love. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.